In the Holy Quran, God Almighty says, Declare, say, announce, If you love Allah, follow me. Meaning follow the Holy Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Then will Allah love you and forgive you your faults. And Allah is most forgiving and merciful. We have been again for the past few weeks now speaking about a concept or a understanding in terms of faith of very famous words of the Declaration of Independence, which are, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So today, we want to talk about this concept of our rights with one another. Because as we know that the Holy Prophet Muhammad brought about a social change. The idea was how we can improve our lives with one another, how society could enhance and be better. And so, when we look at these words, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we want to highlight about what it means within our faith. And more importantly, how we can start this process from within our own homes. We spoke about life and how it implied safety, Everybody should feel safe at home, safe in the mosque. We talked about privacy, how everybody should have the right to a certain degree of privacy, both in their homes and outside with their spouses. Then we spoke about liberty and how freedom, true freedom, is when you are not held by the shackles of marketing schemes or companies and their agendas, but that you are free to live your life, free to purchase things as you need, free to not be held, you know, held down by the wants of society. And then of course the other element of liberty we spoke about was this false notion, or even in other words, the exploitation of men and women in, the, in modern days through the concept of freedom. How they're exploited to believe that they're free by dressing a certain way, looking a certain way, living a certain stereotypical uh, look, based on trends, only to find out that this is all part of a greater scheme to manipulate the masses. And so again, we've spoken about these all in the last two weeks. Today, we will talk about pursuit of happiness. What it truly means. The verse I recited before you, of course, says that if you truly wish that God should love you, then you have to follow none other than the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So let's talk about what pursuit of happiness truly means. In this day and age, folks feel that if they have a certain amount of money, they have a certain amount of material objects, they would be happy. If only my grass was greener, I would be happier. But the reality of it is that happiness is relative and happiness is something that anybody can attain with whatever means that they may already have. No object will make you happier or less happy. To give you an example, you'll see the richest people on earth today, especially here in America, are typically philanthropists. They're people who give back. They have you know, NGOs, they have different programs. And people have wondered why. Why is it that after all the money in the world, they're not splurging on themselves? Why are they giving back to the world? And so they've done surveys, countless of them. One such example was, where they took a group, two groups in fact, of people. 
And each group, they gave each person $100. For group A, they said, we want you to go and spend this $100 on yourself. And to group B, they said, we want you to go and spend this $100 on somebody else. They spent the whole day doing as they were told. When they returned home, they were then rated on how happy they felt. Those who spent on themselves were indeed happy. There's no doubt about that. There was a level of happiness there. But those who were spent on other people were always happier, a greater level of happiness, were at least equal to those who had spent on themselves. They found that there is an innate quality that God maybe has, you know, of course I understand this as God's own design. He's put it in our DNA that when you give to somebody else, there is a happiness there. And that is exactly where Islam sheds light on the different ways in which you and I can achieve happiness when it comes to the rights of others, when it comes to helping one another. Another concept that exists is about experiences and not material wants. Many of us, of course, live this life expecting that if, I, if only I had a better gift or a better car or a better house, I would be happier, I would be more content. But what we forget is Islam encourages experiences. It says, Sidu filars, go and explore the world. It doesn't say go and hoard the world or hoard the masses of the world. It says explore the world. It's many times mentioned in the Quran. Go and explore the world. See the different signs of Allah Almighty. So if you look at it, Allah Almighty constantly tells us to have an experience, not to simply have something. Interesting because again, they did this little social experiment. They took kids who have their typical Christmas celebrations. A year after, they asked them, what gift did you get on Christmas last year? Since we're Muslims, we can do the same practice with our kids about Eid. Ask them. What gifts or how much Eid did they get last year? See if they can remember. And you'll find most often than not, they don't have any clue. They cannot remember the last object they had. But they said if, in the next social experiment, what they did was they took those kids, they didn't give them any gifts. But they took them out for an excursion, an excitement, some sort of adventure, an experience. Then the following year they asked them, what did you do last year for Christmas? In this case, it could be Eid. And their response was a detailed description of exactly what they did. How much fun they had. How they experienced the entire day. This is why in Islam, Siru Filars and many other instances, it's very important to remember that experiences should be positive. Experiences within our homes. Again, we're talking about faith within our home and how we can enhance that. I have seen, especially in New York City, Culturally speaking, our folks who come from Asia, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, don't have the habit of taking their families out for a vacation or even just a nearby excursion of some sort. It's work and it's rest. That's it. And here we see that a level of happiness can be attained by having good and positive experiences. So this is one thing that you should take home with you today is trying to establish a good and positive experience. There are sometimes long weekends. People don't go anywhere. 
at least come to the mosque. The mosque is open. This is an experience too. A good a lot of the friends that I had growing up, we reminisce on those experiences that happened in this mosque. Whether it was playing hide and go seek or jumping on the, the fences outside here or running away from the dog, the, the neighbor's dog or whatever it was. We have a lot of those experiences and we remember them. But if somebody were to ask me what gifts I got throughout my childhood, I couldn't remember a single one. So try to give your children or your families the experience of this mosque. And that can only happen if more than one of us shows up. We don't typically come regularly. It's a matter of revamping the way we experience, we create those those positive places of experience. But I also want to address the negative aspect, something that exists in our homes today, which is in this idea of pursuit of happiness within our faith, sometimes there's that one guy or one kid or one, one person in your family who is on that spiritual journey. They're on the spiritual journey to such an extent that they may be sitting in a family gathering, you're having a dawat, you're having a party at your home. And they will be the ones to say, Abba or Amma or auntie or uncle, I think it's time for prayer. Let's do salat. What will the reaction be? Think about it for a moment. They will get angry at the child, guaranteed. They will say, oh, baad mein dekhenge. we'll see later. Especially if the child says, let's go to the masjid for namaz. Are you crazy? <laughs> That's impossible, we are here for a party. Go, do something else. There is a level of discouragement to that child. And of course, the child is just being as genuine as he can. It doesn't have to be a child, it could be a grown-up. It could be one of the uncles, one of the brothers who makes the suggestion. Typically, people will start judging them instead of encouraging them to pray. And sometimes if you ask them to lead the prayer, they do a sajda just a few seconds longer. Now the whole house is talking about it. Today a long sajdas. Oh my God. Made us suffer. These maybe seem very insignificant to you. But they leave a lasting effect on the culture you've created in your own homes. Because that culture is now a negativity towards spirituality. Whether you like it or not. And that has a very negative effect long term. On how much a child will raise his voice for the sake of good. They'll probably just get quiet. Another thing that we have seen, or I have seen in my many years now as a missionary, is that sometimes this spirituality, or this negativity towards spirituality, kicks in when a newlywed get together and the wife does parda. She does, she, she covers her head, she has the veil. And the husband says, I don't feel comfortable, you should take it off. I have seen so many cases like this. Sometimes it's not the husband, but it's the husband's brother, sisters, or the other girls in the family. They don't do parda, so now they don't want to feel bad, so they encourage, they encourage the brother to now tell his wife, "We don't feel comfortable with this," and so they'll make that command, or they'll make, not the command, they'll make that demand, or they'll make that request. For a girl who has spent her whole life building up the courage to wear the veil, for all the right reasons. For her to finally get married to the person she loves, he loves her too, no doubt. But for him to make the request that now you should somehow take off your veil, that person is not understanding 
how detrimental it is even to her own psyche. To give you an example, all of you can relate. How many of us wear a watch daily, regularly? How many of us wear a ring regularly? Alright, good. What happens the day you don't wear your watch? How do you feel? You feel naked, right? Not just missing something. It feels like you, you're, you're missing your whole clothes. You're completely naked. Even if it's a ring. Sometimes it's something small. Somebody wears a hat every day. They happen to not wear their hat that one day. They feel like they're missing everything. That's just a watch on a wrist. Imagine somebody who's lived their whole life wearing the veil. Embracing it. Now you're asking them to take off this veil. How do you think they would feel? So again, these are places where in our own homes, we discourage spirituality. We should identify those places and we should revamp the way we think. Because a person, again, I remember myself. One time there was a good friend of mine, his younger sister, was very perplexed, was worried. And she came to him saying, one of her friends has asked her why she doesn't wear a bikini. And she couldn't put into words how she should respond. And so he came to me and said, you know, what should I tell her? What, what, what could I suggest to her? And the same answer came to my mind was about wearing a watch. I said, the idea is that a person who has, wears a watch even, cannot take it off. You expect somebody who clothes them, you know, has clothed fully, modest dress their whole lives, can just flip a switch and start wearing something as inappropriate as, as that, as a swimsuit. Make them understand that this is something that you have embraced because this is something you understand. I myself grew up in Chino and I remember throughout my childhood, this is our little secret, I never wore shorts. I was too embarrassed. Whatever the reason was, I felt like I couldn't show my, even my legs. I wear them now by the way, but growing up I didn't. And I remember even then if somebody had asked, even just suggested wear shorts, it was like an impossible thought. It's not going to happen. So sometimes these are small things that Allah puts in our minds and our hearts to help protect us from whatever it is. And it helps us through, to get us through certain, certain trying times. But the point is here, is that let's allow these situations to be positive in spiritual terms and not negative. When somebody suggests something in their homes, and listen to it and try to accommodate it genuinely. You should be thinking about it yourself. Salat should already be part of the menu. Prayer should already be there. Quran and so many other things should already be there. But in case it's not, and somebody suggests it to you, don't shoot the messenger. Similarly, we see times when a particular person in the family suggests going to the mosque, as I've mentioned already. Sometimes it's the daughter-in-law. Sometimes it's the mother-in-law. And what happens? They are told they're not allowed to. Or there's some kind of discouraging thing there. They make up an excuse. Oh, you have, a, you, know, you have to do certain chores. You have to do this. You have to do that. And we create this environment in our homes. And then we wonder why they drift away from concepts that we have heard from the Holy Prophet Muhammad wasallam. And so that's why I want to redirect us to the verse I recited at the beginning. The Holy Prophet Muhammad wasallam helped in the home. He did chores. He helped his spouses. But when it was time for prayer, he dropped everything. Didn't matter what he was doing. Didn't matter how he was helping. This is for the ladies' side. Sometimes they insist so much 
that all oh, the Prophet used to help, why aren't you helping? Why are you going? They should know that the Prophet helped until it was time for prayer, then everything was dropped. Now it's time for prayer. That is the kind of culture we should establish in our homes, trying our level best, that we establish this best example of following the Holy Prophet Muhammad He did every kind of engagement of the world. He was the king of his, of all of Arabia. And yet he made time for prayers, he made time for his family, he made time for himself. That's the kind of goal we should establish for ourselves. Because if we don't start to live a life more meaningful, then there will be no difference between our lives and the lives of mere animals. What does a dog do, a stray dog on the street? If you are simply eating and earning money and procreating and that's it, and there's no difference between you and any, any other animal. The difference is always if you understand your true purpose. And your true purpose is, I'm going to say this, worship. But it's not worship in the terms of just doing sajda all day long, right? Prostration, no. Worship means to be like God, in the image of God. The closer you can be like God, the more you are fulfilling your purpose. The more you can acknowledge the existence of God, be able to identify the existence of God, or just bring God into your lives, that makes your life all so much more purposeful. Without it, then you are aimless, you are like a chicken without a head. You're running around, but you're gaining nothing. So when we talk about pursuit of happiness, the Holy Quran says, Allah bi zikrillahi tatmainul kulub, that content of heart, happiness from within your heart. It can come if and only if you are remembering God. Not just remembering God, but pursuing God. Placing God in your lives. Then and only then can you truly have a happy life. With that, I will quote the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the promised Messiah Islam. He says, I advise you, that when a person is moved by the fear of God and weeps in his presence, hell is forbidden on such a person. However, such emotion and weeping is not possible until a person believes in God and his messenger in the true sense and until they learn about his true book and not only learn about it, but rather believe in it. He also says, If a heart is overwhelmed by the greatness, omnipotence and fear of God the exalted, causing it to melt with emotion, and if this moves a person to shed even one tear for the sake of God, this one tear surely makes hell forbidden for such a person. Hence, one must not be deceived by the fact that they weep often. Empty crying serves no purpose and will only strain the eyes until a person falls victim to various ailments of the eye. In the end he says, Sincerity and honesty is what holds value in the estimation of God Almighty. Never let this fade from your hearts.
affectation and pretense can be of no use before God. May God Almighty help us to truly recognize His existence and become closer and closer to Him in our lives. Amen.